Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Well, we checked in with USC Insider last hour. Now we're going to go to Salt Lake City. I kind of want to make rounds around the Pac-12 conference and gauge how everybody's feeling. Like in Pullman, Washington, I can tell you they're nervous. Washington State fans are nervous. They don't have anywhere to go if the Pac-12 should splinter up. That's why they like the idea of the ACC and the Pac-12 partnering. So does Oregon State. Oregon State's been hunkered down, no public comment. But privately, uh, I think Oregon State is a little anxious about what is happening. They don't want to get left in what would essentially amount to the Mountain West Conference. Well, what about Utah? The Utes are the defending champions in the Pac-12 Conference in football. They have a season ticket wait list. I think they have an athletic director in Mark Harlan who knows what he's doing. They have a university president that uh, is locked in as well. Uh, I think Utah has an opportunity to surge if the Pac-12 stays together. But how are they feeling about everything? I, I don't think there's a better source to go to than ESPN Salt Lake City radio show host, the voice of Utah athletics, Bill Riley, joining us. Bill Riley, how you doing, man? Hey, Johnny, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I, uh, I'm, you know, I, like everybody else, I'm trying to figure out what is going on, where, what's going what's gonna to happen here. Uh, give, me the, uh, give me the initial rapid reaction from Salt Lake. When you heard this a week ago, you know, what was your show like? Well, it ha- here, here, I'll paint you the picture. It's Thursday. I'm on remote, and you know what that means in radio. You're kind of oh. out of your, you're kind of out of your comfortability range. I was at a local restaurant and brewery on a patio doing the show. I lead my show off at 11.05 Mountain Time with the head coach of the University of Utah, Kyle Whittingham. And Kyle and I proceed to talk for 20 minutes. He was great. We talked NIL stuff. We talked upcoming season, all of that stuff. It was fantastic. I hang up with Kyle at about 11.27, and at 11.33, our friend John Wilner sends out the tweet heard around the world. So I missed getting the, the reaction of the head coach of the University of Utah by six minutes. And now, of course, you know, everybody's kind of gone radio silent. Nobody's really saying anything much publicly. And we were all just kind of in – it happened live on my show, so I was in scramble mode. I think I was texting you. You were busy calling your sources. And so I, I did it on the fly that day, and then Friday's show was great. I went around the league. You were on my show on Friday. and. We talked about everything, and I was getting national and regional and local perspectives on things. And so it's now we're a week into this thing. It feels like we're a month into it, doesn't it? It feels like it was more, way more than a week ago because we've hit every permutation of this. And, and I think everybody here has just kind of settled into a realm of uncertainty. I think Utah fans in this market feel like Utah's in a pretty good position based on where they've placed themselves, based on the university, the market the success they've had in football, because you and I both know that's what drives the, that's what drives the, the whole machine. But they're uncertain. Uh, Utah was a member of the Mountain West that you referenced coming in for a long time. 
and their success in the Mountain West is what led them to the Pac-12 Conference. Uh, people here have no desire to go back to anything resembling the Mountain West Conference again, but I don't think they have to worry necessarily about that. I think people here are just kind of like, okay, Utah's in a good spot. I've talked to a lot of people regionally and nationally, and they all feel like Utah's in a good spot. They'll end up in some sort of a power-ish conference, whatever that might happen to be. So I, I would say that the mood here in this market and among the Utah fan base is um, just uncertainty of what's next in two years, but I think they feel like they're in a decent spot. I think the initial reports – included Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado potentially landing in the Big 12. Uh, I made some calls on that front, and I was told, no, the interest was really from the Big 12. That would be a total fallback plan. That's not really what that that block of teams wants. Is that consistent with what you're hearing? I'm not hearing a lot from, from administration, uh, actually, I've gotten more on the Big 12 side of things. And when I talked initially kind of over the weekend, it was the Big 12 was formulating. And then earlier this week, the Big 12 was going to reach out. But I haven't heard much on that end of it. Um, I, 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 here's, what, here, here's what I feel, John, and, and you tell me. The people I've talked to around the conference and locally a little bit, I, I get the sense that, everybody's putting on a good face. And I know you wrote something about, you talked to an administrator that says, George is kicking ass. And I think that's the, that's, the, that's the stance you have to take if you're the 10 schools remaining. But I would tell you if you're Mark Harlan or Rob Mullins or Jen Cohen or Dave Heakey or Rick George, you're putting on the positive face and supporting your commissioner because you've got to see what he can put together. You've got to give him a chance to put his plan together because he got blindsided like everybody else did. But I think if you're Mark Harlan or Bob Mullins or Jen Cohen or Dave Heakey or Rick George, you're also putting together your plan B, which covers your backside, if plan A with the commissioner doesn't come to fruition. So I think everybody's putting on that positive front forward face, and, and I think that's the right thing to do because, let's face it, there's no sense of urgency right now, John. It's not as if anything is happening in the next six months. It's two years from now. So the Big Ten's not looking right now west anymore. They're waiting on Notre Dame. The Big 12 will gladly take those four corner schools, Washington, Oregon, whenever the time comes. So I think there's time for George Klyovkov to put his plan together, whatever that is, his, his Hail Mary, save the franchise, save the farm plan. But I think every athletic director in the conference is working on their plan B, and I would tell you I think that plan B probably does involve the Big 12 conference. Is it a step back? Maybe a little bit, but that conference is on probably more solid footing today. They know who they are. I guarantee their media rights deal is greater than what you, whatever the Pac-12 could get today. So while it may not be ideal, that may end up being a plan B for some of the schools. We're talking to Bill Riley, ESPN 700, Salt Lake City, the voice of Utah Athletics. On uh, October 15th, USC will come to Utah. How will they be greeted? <laughs> well, when they come to Utah, usually, and you know this, because they are the big dog, There's always they're the school everybody wants to beat. It's usually pretty rough. I will tell you, because you were at Rice-Eccles last year for the Oregon game. Yes. I will tell you that it will be like that maybe another two or three times greater. 
I think the intensity that night, because there could be a lot on the line with that game. Utah could be undefeated. USC could be undefeated. So there could be a lot on the line in that game, plus the the kind of, okay, these are the guys that busted up our family type atmosphere, too. And there's always the arrogance that USC brings, whether they're good or whether they're bad. So I would tell you the atmosphere will be very much like, if not maybe even greater than what you experienced when Oregon came in last November. It was an ambush that night, and I, I remember, you know, looking around the stadium. I got there early, Bill, and I walked around and watched it fill in, and I thought to myself, gosh, it was a great day. The skies were clear. It was beautiful and sunny, and and by the evening, it was evident that, like, it was like an old western, and Oregon was walking through the canyon, and Utah just ambushed them. Well, and here's the other thing, too, and I'm – I'm not, I don't know Lincoln Riley at all, but he is new to the conference. Lincoln Riley's played and coached at Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley's now at USC. He's brought in 27 transfers that haven't really played in this conference or experienced playing Utah in Salt Lake City. And as I said, there is a, an air about USC, and there's a good chance that they're going you know, they've been talked about all summer. They'll be talked about in the fall. They may come in here with the big chest, and you experienced it last year. A lot of teams have. You know, whether you like it or not, some 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 people and some of these five-star kids that USC has, they kind of look down their nose at Utah. That was the fallback school, but USC called. So it, it could be – I'm not saying that what, that's what happened to Oregon because I think they were very well yeah. aware of how good Utah was because they played. But I think USC could walk into something like that if they – because not there aren't going to be a lot of those guys that have experienced that atmosphere in playing Utah before. So it could be interesting. Oh, I think it's gonna. I think they're gonna get it on a nightly uh, basis as they go around the conference. We're talking to Bill Riley, ESPN 700, Salt Lake City. The confidence that you have, or the confidence that maybe Utah fans have in George Klyovkov, uh, I think took a hit on his 365th day as commissioner. Um, how much of this do you put on him? How much on Larry Scott? The path that that led this conference to now. Well, certainly the more goes on Larry Scott and his disastrous decade-long reign as commissioner and his inability to get good media rights deals and the, the negotiation. He just didn't put the conference in a great spot. You know, I've thought a lot about this because I've read, you know, social media. Everybody wants to put some on Klyovkov. And maybe you put some on it. Maybe he should have engaged USC and UCLA more. But, John, you've written about the numbers. I've talked about them. What was George Klyovkov going to do in the short term that was going to do anything that would have, that would have you know, narrowed the gap between $100 million a year and $30 million a year? What slice of the pie was he going to be able to cut out for USC and UCLA that was going to placate them enough, especially UCLA, who's in horrific debt situations, like $100 million in debt? It was clearly a money play for them, and for USC, it was it was money and other things too. But I'm just even if he's proactive, even if he's working with the two LA schools, what's Klyovkov going to be able to offer them that was going to come close to what the Big Ten just simply offered them in a, in a media rights deal? So I I think I guess because you're in that position, you're going to bear some of the responsibility. It's the whole thing. It's kind of like a quarterback or a head coach. You get too much of the credit, too much of the blame. But I'm, I'm not really sure, without 
without having some prior knowledge that this deal was going down, these negotiations were happening, you know, what, what was he supposed to do to stop SC and UCLA from leaving the conference in the first year he was on the job, especially when, you know, he probably looks at Martin Jarman and he looks at Mike Bone and they're shaking his hand and everybody's good buddies at these, these photo ops and these meetings. Well, you assume you've got a good relationship. So I, I'm, I'm not sure how much we should really put on Klyovkov in this situation. And I'm not saying that to, to try and suck up to the new commissioner. I'm just not sure what, what was the move that was going to placate them from leaving for a $100 million media rights deal annually. Yeah, I think that the that lot was cast still on his watch. I, I still go, you know, I have to think he was sick when he saw it happening. He was on oh. vacation in Montana when it went down. Can you well, imagine can you that? Ima- can, can you imagine, <laughs> can you, John, can you imagine he's in the wilds of Montana? He makes a food run into town. He turns his phone on for cell service. <laughs> I mean, you and I have done that. We get it off an airplane, and, it, and our phone explodes. His phone probably melted down last Thursday when he got into cell range. I could not imagine the, the emotions going through his mind as he's scrolling through his messages on vacation. I don't know. What, I, let me ask you just a real quick question because yeah. we haven't talked since last Friday. I know you and Wilner have written a little bit about this ACC loose partnership. I talked to two people that are pretty high up in collegiate administration, not in the Pac-12, but I've got friends in other conferences, and I asked them about this yesterday, and, and, and both kind of shot it down and said, there's no such thing as a loose partnership anymore. That's what the alliance was. They, they, they didn't like that part of it, and they didn't like the, they didn't like the distance part of it, too. So I know you, you're a little bit on. John's a little bit on. Why, why do you like it? I like it because, I mean, from the ACC standpoint, they can't enter a, a formal merger because if they do their grant of rights, uh, it opens the barn door and Miami and Clemson are going to run out the door. And so they're going to they're going to be in the same situation the Pac-12's in. Uh, so they can't they can't do more than a loose partnership. But what I like it is uh, the Pac-12 teams would get to play some crossover games in football and maybe in men's basketball so I could foresee Utah playing Clemson in an early season game that would take the place of like the game that you know that you know you're playing this season against Florida it would be that kind of big early season game and then uh, I also like it because the rest of the sports on your campuses don't have to join an ACC and travel across the country and play games. You just play your normal Pac-10, Pac-12 schedule. I also think uh, it solves the problem of who's going to be interested in this because ESPN is already in bed with the ACC. So I think ESPN then comes to the table and go, hey, there's more money here. There's more value here. Yes, we'll pay you above uh, you know, what market value is because now they're going to take all the extra games from the Pac-12. And then you, here's, the, here's the real wild card where I think it really gets lucrative is you have this conference championship game that Utah and Oregon played in last year in Vegas. And instead of having that Pac-12, Pac-12 championship game matchup, you now use that window with ESPN's help to say, look, we're going to take the ACC champion, let's say it's Miami, and we're going to take the Pac-12 champion, let's say it's Oregon or Utah, and you guys are going to play. And guess what? Second place team, uh, we're going to take Clemson, and they'll play the second-place team. So Utah and Oregon get an extra opportunity to get a quality win over an ACC power 
those ACC teams get an opportunity to get another quality win. ESPN gets two huge games, two broadcast windows. Vegas gets to host the, the show. I think you're generating money that is new money there. And and if the game here is to get into the playoff, you know, I think Utah's got the best chance to get into the playoff this season. But if let's just say hypothetically you're on the bubble and I give you a shot, Bill Riley, to play Miami or Clemson to fight your way into the playoff, I think you'd jump at that. I think so, too. Would, would, this, would you blow up your non-conference schedule for now and just schedule ACC games and no. conference games? No, I wouldn't fully blow it up. I would just take maybe one non-conference game, and we're going to cross over. And, you know, and because Utah has been good, uh, sorry to say you're going to get Clemson or Miami. You know, or Flor- you know, Florida State might be in that conversation, too. And Oregon's going to get, you know, a date with Mario Cristobal at Autzen Stadium, which would be a huge draw and a huge ESPN game. And <laughs> so I just think there's yeah. some there's some opportunities there. Uh, and I think the uh, I think the loss comes to the Pac-12 network, because I think under that partnership, the Pac-12 network dissolves into the ESPN plus family or becomes the ACC network or something like that. And. Uh, so you lose that Pac-12 network, uh, you know, but your Olympic sports are now on ESPN, and and I think I think it solves some problems, and, and you know, it's not a 20-year solution, but it's like a five or six-year solution. Well, the, 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 as long as they're on board, I just want to know how much more revenue are we? What what does our media rights get us to? Does it get us close to what a Big 12 deal would? Because if so. I'm all for keeping the team together, playing ten, and then adding those ACC games. But if I, if I, you know, I can't, if I can't get close to that, because what were we talking about? The new deal was was hopefully going to be in the low to mid forties for the Pac-12. Is yeah, that what we're thinking? Uh, we were. The former Fox president told me five hundred million would have put you know the shares for every member around forty six, forty seven million. So that I saw you say that drops that back down to about thirty million. Yeah. But if you can up that and get it back closer to forty with this yes. new loose partnership with the ACC, I think that's something you look at because, you know, your 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 Big Twelve media rights right now it's twelve, but if you're adding the sixteen teams or eighteen teams, that pie gets bigger and gets sliced up a lot more. It's probably not going to be forty five or forty eight. It's probably going to be more closer to forty or forty two. Yeah, if you're going into the Big Twelve. Yeah. All right. Before I cut you loose, Bill Riley, um, you know where do you think Utah ends up? Gun to your head, you have to make a, you have to place a bet. Where is Utah playing its games in 2025? What conference? So funny. I, this was my poll question the other day to my listeners, and I gave them the options of merger, hybrid conference, Pac-12, Big Twelve, Big Ten, and Merger is what what played out with Big 12 being second. I think it's a hybrid of some sort. I don't think it's just I, – I think in 2024, 2025, it's going to be some sort of conglomeration with the Big 12. I love the idea. I hope George Klyovkov can throw a Hail Mary. I'm just – I'm not sure if that is going to be sellable to – the media rights partners. So I'll say some sort of a hybrid merger conference with the Big 12. There you have it. Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Thank you, my friend. Uh, I'll catch you down the road. Sounds good. Thanks, John. There's Bill Riley from Salt Lake City. I don't agree with him. I don't think 
Well, I, I guess semantics-wise, I guess we could find some agreement, but I think the Pac-12 remains intact. I think you could call it a merger if the Pac-12 takes some Big 12 teams. See, I see the Pac-12 as the aggressor here, not the, uh, you know, it's the poacher, it's not the poachee. I see the Pac-12 going on offense and looking at Houston and Baylor and Oklahoma City and maybe BYU uh, and going, hey, we want all these markets. And, we, you know, we got Salt Lake already, but putting BYU in the fold does add a little bit to, uh, you know, to the mix when you talk about those crossover games with the ACC. Can you imagine Florida State against BYU, Miami against Oregon, Clemson against Utah? That is like your late December where you traditionally get the conference championship game. You're getting those kinds of games instead. Anna's popping into the studio. Did Larry Miller, the former Blazers president, just blow up the deal that Phil Knight was trying to make to buy the Blazers? Or did Phil Knight turn Larry Miller loose to go after Jody Allen? We'll talk about it next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's popped into the studio. The New York Post has weighed in, calling Jody Allen toxic in a headline. The story in the New York Post today uh, quoted Larry Miller, former Blazers president and current uh, head of the Jordan brand at Nike, as saying that Jody Allen is making a mistake. He is quoted as saying, I would say to her, absolutely take the offer. Uh, sources told the New York Post that there's growing disarray behind the scenes. A highly placed team staffer is alleging that Jody's toxic behavior has spilled over into the management team. Neil Olshay uh, and his conduct and the investigation is cited in that. And uh, also um, Larry Miller said, quote, the Blazers are not as successful as they could have been. Jody is deferring everything to Burt, and he is not the right guy for the team, Larry Miller said. Uh, according to Miller, Jody refused to take Phil Knight's call when the Nike founder put his initial offer together. She deferred him to Burt Cold. She also has refused to talk with Damian Lillard, who reportedly had issues with the way the team was being run. Uh, Larry Miller uh, is quoted there uh, saying, quote, Damian wanted to sit down and have a conversation with Jody, and she didn't return his call. Uh, reps uh, for Jody Allen and the Blazers did not respond to requests for comment. Um, the story has a couple things wrong. One, they say that Paul Allen left his estate to his sister. Uh, he did not. She is the trustee of his estate. I don't know. I guess it's semantics a little bit. Uh, also, uh, there's some speculation that uh, you know that uh, Larry Miller uh, was acting here, being quoted on the direction of Phil Knight, not going rogue and essentially blowing this deal up. But so I want to ask you this. Anna's popped into the studio, and I want I want to ask the listeners this as well. What do you think is going on here? Is Phil Knight trying to force Jody Allen's hand? Is he frustrated with Jody's statement earlier this week where she again said the team is not for sale? Is, 
is Larry Miller blowing this deal up, or is the Phil Knight-Larry Miller contingent putting pressure on Jody Allen to sell this team that will be effective? Tell me what's going on here. It feels a little bit Game of Thrones. Yeah, it does, but it's fascinating and it's disappointing. Um, I don't think that Larry Miller comes out and talks about Jody Allen and Vulcan Inc. in this way without the blessing of Phil Knight. I mean, I think the timing of this is interesting shortly after her odd statement that was released earlier this week. And I think it's definitely, you know, to use the younger people's terms, a clapback. I think it's really interesting that, you know, the Blazers right now are trying to sell season tickets to fans. And the common theme that I'm seeing when it comes to comments about those posts, like the Blazers are posting on Facebook and they're sponsored ads on social media saying, hey, now's the time to get season tickets. And time and again, the comments that are coming from diehard Blazer fans is sell the team. Give it up. We don't want Jody to own it anymore. We don't want Vulcan Inc. involved. Please, Phil Knight, give it to Phil Knight. Sell it to Phil Knight. Yeah, I I agree with you. I don't think Larry Miller has gone rogue here. I do wonder a little bit. I'm going to tell you something. Like years ago, Merritt Paulson was interested in owning the Blazers, right, years ago. And there was a a firm that is a – uh, you know, with the lobbyist firms that are out there, they're kind of like the fixers. Yeah. I, I'm blanking on, like, the terminology for this. But they they, they basically get involved as the uh, unknown middle person in this equation. The firm reached out to me, and they said, hey, we are interested in knowing whether or not the public would have a positive reaction if Merritt Paulson was going to buy the team. And I said I thought that the public would have a positive reaction, like as I talked to them. Um, And what became evident in that conversation was that the owner of an NBA team, Paul Allen, in the case uh, of years ago with Merritt Paulson, has to want to sell you the team. Yeah, It's not like selling something on eBay, like where you don't really ever see the person's face. Right. This is more like um, a transaction. It, it's like a for sale by owner house transaction mm-hmm. where the owner's got to like you and want to sell the team, sell the asset to you. There is part of me here that cringed when I saw this because I thought, oh, crap, you just slapped Jody Allen in the face and Burt Cold in the face, and these are the people that you've got to woo. Like you have to seduce these people. Like you've got you've to tell Jody Allen, hey – uh, you know, we're going to put a statue of your brother out in front of the stadium. You can have season tickets, courtside seats for life. You know, you and Bert, anytime you want, you come down and have tickets. Like, you've got to do some wooing here. So it tells me that maybe what happened on Tuesday when that statement went public, I, I kind of wonder if Phil Knight had made repeated inquiries to her trying to get a conversation with her trying to get a conversation with her and lo and behold in the 11th hour she just issued a public statement saying the team's not for sale instead of like calling him back and now he's pissed and i kind of wonder if we're at the point where like phil knight is ready to walk away from the deal and i hope that's not the case i mean yeah that's clearly this is potentially the fallout from you know the end of a wooing period but uh I just, if it's true, 
that Phil Knight reached out and she wouldn't even take his call and, and dished him off to Bert. And then that she won't even sit down and yeah. have a conversation with Damian Lillard, who has obviously the right to have that conversation. This is troubling stuff. Like, yeah. I was a little more Pollyanna yesterday right. about all of it, and uh, my, my rose-colored glasses are coming off. Yeah, I guess wonder what the end game is, here is for Phil Knight, because, you know, I, I've, I'm told he really wants the team. I'm told that... His son, Travis, had an interest in being involved with the team. Uh, we know that Alan Smolinski, the owner of the Dodgers, was involved in this, and he is a developer of land and projects. You know, he, he made his money in student housing at USC. And here's Phil Knight, who's having kind of a rough week because Oregon, you know, isn't going to the Big Ten, at least in this initial push. Now, apparently, um, your Jordan brand president, Larry Miller, is coming out and you know, smacking Burt Cold around and taking shots at Jody Allen. I don't know if the Blazers are going to end up with Phil Knight or I don't know what we're really seeing right now. I want your phone calls. What do you think it means? 503-417-7575. You weigh in. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.